accompanying Christ together here and around the world. We experience today so many enormities. It can sometimes happen that the smallest detail proves because it can be more, more easily capturable the most poignant. And so in the first gospel, and therefore the earliest passion, it begins with a remarkable detail. And that's that of Mark that we heard on Palm Sunday. A woman arrives, name unknown, and she realizes what is going to take place and seizes the moment to anoint his body for burial, a chilling thing in its own right. But the oil is the most expensive kind, and Judas immediately objects, and he talks about how this could be used for the poor. Judas, focused on money, who for pieces of coin will sell his Savior for that. And then further on, Peter wants his loyalty who will deny Christ and abandon him. As she washes, as she anoints him, Christ pleads with his disciples to allow it to be done. But as the text says, and you look at it twice, they were infuriated with her. His disciples, his very apostles, were infuriated with her who was showing respect to Christ and must as we heard the lines repeated, I am with its resonance from the beginning of the Hebrew Scriptures, she realized by the great expense of what she did, the worth, the pricelessness of whom she was anointing. But they were infuriated. It teaches us what Christ faced. It teaches us what Christ experienced, the human condition. That is to say, putting up with us, what we face at times as well. John's passion today, of course, as a gospel, begins with that reason that the eagle represents John soaring to heaven. In the beginning was the Word. And then says majestically, of this person we've spoken today, all things came to be through him, and without him, nothing came to be. And then as John says, the true light that enlightens everyone was coming into the world. And then sadly, not only then, but now when we avoid the truths of things, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Pilate clearly knows he's innocent. He tries to release him. The trick goes to release Barabbas instead. He has Christ flogged to appease the leaders, but that fails too. And then finally, he yields to their calls only because they've threatened to denounce him to Caesar. And so there is put to death the author of life. And yet, throughout John's passion, Christ acts as if he is in charge. In a very real sense, not Christ, but Pilate is on trial. And then, in something incredible to be seen or heard, 
The people speak of Caesar as their king. This on the very anniversary of Passover and their deliverance and their release from Pharaoh, insisting on another Pharaoh, as we often do, who have been set free to come unto servitude again by our sin. Christ entrusts his mother to John and John to his mother in an inchoate way and a hint for the beginnings of the church. But it needs for us sometimes more than a lifetime to grow, to become the church, or to build it, or to welcome other people in to have that sense. I wonder if I could offer an example. When I was in primary school, the nuns would, from year to year, ask us, what is the most important Christian feast? And we would say, with certainty and with one voice, Christmas. And then they would explain, quite justly, that at the heart of the Christian faith is the Paschal Mystery. These three days, which stand as one, no dismissal between any of these services of Holy Thursday and Good Friday and the Vigil of Easter on Holy Saturday. And those are at the heart of the Christian faith. And so after that, when they would ask again, we would all say Easter, but each of us sitting separately would think of our heads and hearts aloud, Christmas. But in the years since, there is that thing termed life. There is that thing termed experience. There is that matter called reality. There is that matter of going forth from home and into the world and seeing what's there. And that, in a way, shows the famed line that the years have their lessons, which the days never know. Much that folk expected turned out otherwise. Hopes were crushed. Promises by those whom they loved traduced. Jobs lost. Families broken up. The virtuous suffering. The conniving get ahead. Good people doing good, unrewarded, unremarked. And the innocent struck down with a dire disease. Amid all our woe, God did not stand afar off. God did not stand afar off sending messages or shouting instructions. At the heart of our Christian faith is the gospel, English and amber into an old phrase, which is the good news. And the good news is the finest we've ever heard or ever shall. That as the same evangelist said, God so loved the world that he sent his only son who came to be with us and shared our pain. And finally, for all the good he did and concern for each of us he had was undone by human treachery and knew the human condition all too well. But all of which says, and now we recognize it in our maturity, that not the crib there with Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus and the angels and the star, what could be more fetching? 
But now, in the virtue of experience and understanding and realizing that with which we too contend, it is the cross that stands above every hospital and Catholic orphanage and every church and every school so often dealing with students and immigrants other people have not paid attention to. And above, churches with food pantries saying that in their trouble they are not abandoned, but God became man in Christ to join with us, to join with us. And that is our hope, that is our faith in very truth. And that has taught us, that has taught us love by God's. The poet's marvelous line, for I claim that we are wrapped with mercy round and round, as if by air. Thanks for listening to Within the Walls of St. Paul's Sunday Homilies. Please consider supporting us by visiting stpaulparish.org. That's stpaulparish.org. God bless and see you next time.